0: Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. The experience of booking and taking flights has been changing dramatically as airlines deconstruct their offering to give passengers more choices for a fee. At the same time, the value of loyalty programs has diminished, and credit card companies are trying to fill the void. We've got three short conversations packed into one loaded podcast today, all revolving around airlines, a hot topic at the recent SCIFT Global Forum. Jeremy Cressman, a SCIFT contributing writer, spoke to this episode's guests in the SCIFT Take Studio backstage at the Forum. The first conversation is with Robert Albert, founder and CEO of Root Happy, which ranks the quality of flights based on factors including seat, food availability, and in-flight entertainment. The second is a spirited back and forth with Brian Kelly, founder of the Point Sky website, and George Hobica, founder of discount airfare site, airfarewatchdog.com. And finally, we hear from Ben Smith, president of passenger airlines at Air Canada, who touches on all of those themes from a carrier point of view. This is one of several conversations we're bringing you from backstage at this gift global forum. This Gift Take Studio series is presented by MasterCard, a payments technology company that is enabling loyalty, security, and data solutions for the global travel industry. And first up, here's our conversation with Root Happy's Robert Albert.
1: Robert, thanks for being here today. I'm Jeremy Cressman with Skift at the Forum today. Um, This seems like an interesting moment for airline distribution. How do you think the balance between where airlines are selling their products is changing
2: or evolving? It's uh, the the flight shopping uh, landscape is transforming. Um, Airlines are differentiating their products and they're taking Uh, new functionality that they've either built themselves or through new vendors and to some extent existing uh, infrastructure providers and they're providing highly differentiated products and services. They're moving from just selling standard seats to base products with optional services making almost $60 billion this year in ancillary services Uh, so it's almost like the hood has been opened and everyone is reinventing flight shopping now. Um, Airlines are doing it in their direct channels themselves uh, but distributors have also realized that they have to differentiate as well. They have been focused on hotels for the last decade. They haven't spent much investment in their paths generally, and they're doing that now. So we're, uh, we're really in a, a whole new era of uh, flight shopping innovation.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert, why do you think it's been so difficult historically for the airlines to differentiate some of these products you're describing for customers? What's been the problem or holdup?
2: Yeah, so it's a great question why it's been so hard for airlines to differentiate their products historically. And I would say that it's uh, two factors primarily. One is mindset. So you had um, traditional or legacy mainline carriers that had a business model that was based on being full service. And that was providing a lot of and whistles and benefits as you know part of the fair. Then low-cost carriers f- 10, 15, 15 years ago plus came into the scene and started unbundling and offering a base product with optional services that challenged the legacy carriers that had to reinvent their model. It turns out that it's actually a better model for everybody because consumers like choice and differentiation. So the first was a mindset perspective, but then secondarily, the entire industry did not have infrastructure to be able to sell differentiated in ancillary products and services. The LCCs created their own technology or some new companies uh, came up to support them, but they didn't have products that really worked for the uh, mainline and largest carriers. That now is finally changing. So it's both a mindset and a technology problem that we're overcoming.
1: Uh, We talk about all this differentiation being good for consumers. You know, they can shop around, find the options that work for them. But where do you draw the line between maximizing choice and confusing or sort of annoying a passenger? Yeah, it's
2: it's a great question on how to draw the line between too much choice and confusing a passenger. So while it's beneficial for consumers to have choice, it has to come with responsible display of information so that consumers can make educated decisions. And I'm talking about simple things like shopping comparison grids and well-displayed information that clearly articulates the benefits of a flight. So um, my view is that it's ultimately good as long as, and and we need to hold airlines and distributors accountable to this, um, they provide information that helps us understand their products very clearly. Then with those kinds of tools, filtering capability, and comparison grids, we actually have the kind of choice and the information that we need to make the best decisions.
1: Hmm. I think one of the big challenges with this merchandising process that's happening is standardization, right? And I know IATA, the the global organization, is using this new distribution capability, or NDC, as some people are calling it. Can you explain to our audience what that is and your view on how it's going to improve the selling experience or what you think it will do to sort of change the current environment?
2: Yeah, so the question is about what is NDC, new distribution capability, from IATA and standardization, and is that a good thing for uh, flight shopping going forward? The answer is I think it's a great thing. Um, In order for the industry to transform, you've got lots of different players. You've got 600 airlines throughout the world, um, hundreds of distributors, 3.7 billion flyers worldwide, uh, passengers boarded. So this is a very large space. And you can't have a chaotic situation where every airline is going to every distributor trying to figure out how to differentiate. So there needs to be some common language that everyone uses. And the uh, IATA has just made tremendous progress with NDC to rally the entire ecosystem behind the idea that if we all get behind standards, we can innovate our products the way that we all need to do it. It's, uh, NDC is only a set of standards, so it allows innovation from companies, new companies like mine, Root Happy, from existing companies like the GDSs, uh, airlines directly. It just enables a platform of um, innovation, but based on a common language. So it's ultimately a really good thing. Sure. Uh,
1: Robert, where do you think the uh, the distribution area is heading in the, in the future. Um, how do you think airlines are going to evolve their merchandising process? What, what changes or sort of trends are you planning to see or do you think we'll see in the
2: coming years? Yeah, that's a great question, how airlines are viewing their distribution. Um, I'd say uh, three trends that I see. The first one is they're much more open-minded to indirect distribution now. Uh, For the last 10 or 15 years, they've been very skeptical of indirect. They've wanted to build up their direct channels, compete with indirect, you know frankly get rid of indirect if they could but they've realized that it's a valuable part of the ecosystem and then they've gotten their own websites to a really good place now and so they're now more supportive of working with their indirect partners who are also more open to helping them differentiate with ancillaries and upgrades and merchandising content so no, number one is an acceptance of indirect and a more of a willingness to cooperate with them the second is uh, an omni-channel approach so what we're seeing in airlines is that they're no longer viewing distribution as direct versus indirect, which has been the case. Silos that frankly fought and competed with each other even within an airline. And so we're now seeing um, departments that are even called omni-channel distribution where they're really thinking strategically about um, you know, their distribution in, in all channels. And the third one is um, there is going to be much more of an emphasis on creating dynamic targeted offers and rich. Uh, merchandising content. They haven't had that focus because they haven't had to, but they, they are changing the way they sell flights. And so they're creating new departments of people who just think about creating dynamic offers and creating, creating uh, merchandising content. They even have to literally take, hire photographers and go take better and more comprehensive photographs of their products, which hadn't been a priority because there was no place to put the content, but that's becoming a big theme.
1: Sure. Just one last question that spurred from what you just said. Obviously, the merchandising is a big piece of this, but what about the personalization aspect, right? So knowing more about the comp- the customer and being able to sort of combine that into an understanding and make that dynamic offer. Yeah. Do you think airlines have been able to figure out that personalization piece, or what do they need to do, or what are the next steps? Airlines,
2: it's so a great question on personalization with, with airlines and what they're doing with it. So um, airlines are sitting on a treasure trove of data about buying habits. Because if you buy, you know, you either fly with an airline, you bought it from an indirect channel or a direct channel, they know a lot about, you know, where you go and where you sit and what you spend and what optional services you've um, uh, purchased. They are becoming much more focused on personalization and using that data to provide more relevant offers. Um, we are in an era now where we get emails from airlines that are sort of semi-targeted. Sometimes they feel like they're really relevant, and oh, that's an offer that I'm really interested in. And then sometimes, why are they offering this upgrade? I already get it with my status, you know, something like that. Um, so it's really becoming a, a very important theme. And I guess I would add that as my number four of, of themes is, is personalization. Sure, I think that's a good number There's four. There's a lot to do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, well, Robert, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for speaking today and thank you for all your thoughts. Thank you very much.
0: And that was Robert Albert. Now coming up is a lively debate between the Airfare Watchdog and the Points Guy. If you guys
1: want to go ahead and introduce yourselves.
3: I'll go first. I'm George Hobica and I'm the founder of airfarewatchdog.com. And I'm Brian Kelly.
4: I'm founder and CEO of thepointsguy.com.
3: And I'm Jeremy Cressman. We're here at the
1: Skip Forum talking about points and miles with two of the uh top experts in the field. Um, guys, what do you what are you trends are you seeing in terms of how flyers are using miles in 2016? Are there any changes in how people are redeeming? Um what's what's going on in the space? It's always changing.
4: The space is definitely changing. Um, but fundamentally, you know, the the way that you earn airline miles has changed, right? So airlines now award miles based on how much you spend. But luckily, on the redemption side, there have not been fundamental changes. So the doomsday scenario would be, you know, with your American or Delta miles where they peg it to the exact cost of the ticket, right? That would take all the potential upside and glory out of those redemptions. Delta, to an extent, has done some sort of dynamic pricing where they no longer tell us how many miles, but it's not quite to the point of uh, exactly pegging it to the cost of the ticket. So there are still ways to maximize, especially on partners. Uh, so it's kind of business as usual. We've seen inflation in the amount of miles needed pretty much across the board, but there are still plenty of juicy uh, sweet spots out there, uh, especially on partners and in international first class.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I think smart consumers are spending their miles on the most expensive travel experience like first class or business class, uh, not on $200 round trip domestic tickets. Um, I think uh, Brian uh, Kelly's done a great job uh, you know, educating consumers on how to spend their miles wisely and not just throw them away on uh, things that aren't as valuable.
1: George, the media seems to be perpetually obsessed with this question of when is the best
3: time to buy a flight?
1: Is there a best time to buy a flight or is this just some unicorn that we're never going to solve?
3: There's no statistical best time to buy a flight, but there are times when you should buy. And that's, I think, when the airline's lower an airfare drastically for some unknown reason. It used to happen all the time when there were 12 major network uh, airlines in the U.S. that have these incredible fare wars every day. There would be one hub after another that would go down. And, um, so the, that's why airfare alerts are the best uh, way to find out about them. Or on Twitter, you know, the hashtag uh, airfare on Twitter is a great way to track some of these uh, amazingly low airfares. And I think we have to remember, too, that uh, airfares are actually going down thanks to various factors. So um, it's a good time to fly.
1: So it's more about being ready to pounce than about having some crazy mixed-up formula that's never going to be applicable in all situations. Yeah, I mean,
3: you know, all these people who say it's 45 days ahead or Tuesdays at 3 p.m., I mean, if that were true, Brian, don't you agree, if that were true that... uh, then everyone would be out of business by now. It'd just be one site. All the predicting sites, the, the, the mm-hmm. airfare prediction sites, well, why are, why haven't they completely cornered the entire market? Because predictions really don't work. Airlines are too too uh, hard to uh, pin down. They really are very wily creatures. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I kind of wish people would stop running about it. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah please. It's, it's just a soundbite. It's just a soundbite that uh, these people, I won't name them, know that uh, journalists uh, will pick up because it's easy to, to digest and and to report, but they're just stupid sound bites. Don't believe there's a magic day.
1: Sure. You guys are both well aware of all the devaluations we've seen in hotel programs, airline programs. Are loyalty programs still worthwhile? Just point blank.
4: So yes, you know, the game is changing. Uh there are devaluations, which means increased amount of points and miles needed for awards. That being said, the amount you can earn, in my opinion, is increasing over the rate of this inflation right so mostly through credit card bonuses. You know, in 2016, more airline miles will be awarded from credit card and partner spend than from actual flying. So these really aren't frequent flyer programs. If you're trying to fly more to keep up, uh, you're going to be left behind. It's really about getting the right credit cards and getting it on the right deals. You know, even JetBlue and Virgin have been getting in, uh, in a war for their customers, offering really lucrative bonuses. So there's still opportunities to earn tons and tons of points. You know, Marriott and Starwood, now you can link, and there's some incredible opportunities to leverage those programs so the programs are far from dead but they definitely are changing
3: i would say less valuable i am lucky i live in new york part-time and uh, la part-time i have a huge range of airlines and i i exercise that freedom if uh, united has a lower fare i will go in united if uh if one airline has a better meal service or a better seat or better schedule, I will go with that airline. I do. I am not loyal. I'm going to fly th- this month alone. I'm flying Delta jet blue American and United, uh, over the next six weeks. And, uh, because they had the best schedule, best fare and the best service.
4: I, I will chastise chastise you though, George. So oh. I do agree. So the, the, the The disruptors like JetBlue Mint are awesome, right? So the Southwest effect, I remember being in college when Southwest came, Philly to Pittsburgh. You know, US Air was charging $600 round trip and then all of a sudden it was like 60. JetBlue's had that effect on Transcon fare. So I actually support JetBlue because I want JetBlue to stay around. The minute JetBlue ever leaves that market then you know american united and delta are going to jack up the prices even more so i know you flew american when they matched that 599 but you got to support the jet blues out there so jet blue was more expensive for my flight yeah okay yeah Yeah. and united was
3: more and and delta was more yeah Yeah. only only american had the 599
4: okay sorry i take that back
3: all right (laughs) i'm a bargain shopper air for a watch (laughs) air for a watchdog what what do you expect
1: Yeah. I would expect nothing less. So can you guys humor me for a minute and dig into the intricacies of when it's worthwhile to do an elite program? Obviously for a hotel or for an airline, does it make sense to pursue elite status?
4: I'll say, I'll, I'll start and just say in general, there is a widening gap between low level elite status and top tier. I still do believe top tier elite status is extremely valuable. Um, so if you're on the cusp, the generally the rate of return for spending a little bit more to get to that top tier status is much, there's much higher reward and airlines, you know, are rolling out the red carpet, you know, Delta will pick you up in a Porsche. Sometimes if you're a high value customer, you know, uh, United has a same similar program, uh, with Mercedes. So it's not like it's all doom and gloom, but the airlines are really focusing in on their best customers. So if you spread all your spend out, uh, or, and flying out on different airlines, you know, having low-level elite status on five airlines is worth much, much, much less than top tier on one. So it depends on how much you fly, but certainly towards the upper echelons, elite status is absolutely still worth it.
3: The problem is that very few people ever get that top, top tier, and it's very hard to get there. Um, you have to fly a lot, spend a lot. And for the people in the gold uh, part of the th- you know the, the theater or the silver part— uh, you know, it's not as uh, lucrative. Uh, you can get some of those benefits with a credit card, uh, priority boarding, a free check bag. Yes, they do tend to. If you're you know, upper tier, they do tend to uh, take care of you in the case of a flight uh, ir- ir- eruption, interruption. Uh, yeah, they'll they'll certainly put you on the next flight out, and the people who don't have status are going to just mm-hmm. sleep in the airport. So uh, yeah, absolutely, there are benefits if you can reach that pinnacle of um you know uh, loyalty
4: but i would agree with you yeah at the lower levels it's get an airline co-branded credit card and it's very similar
1: sure okay which air carrier do you think offers the best loyalty program right now for the general traveler
4: and why Hmm. for the general traveler who doesn't want to jump through hoops and read yeah, websites exactly. uh, i mean southwest rapid rewards i gotta give it to them you know it's if they're As an airline, the two free check bags, the free changes, you know, Southwest is generally a little bit more expensive, um, but you get so much more and they're friendly and humane towards coach passengers. The same can't be said about most other airlines. So I would say loyalty-wise, simplicity for the masses, Southwest is hard to beat.
3: I agree, Southwest.
1: Um, you guys brought up reward cards during the panel, obviously it's become a huge area of focus for the industry and where that's heading. Chase is now offering this 100,000 point bonus, if you will. Is there an upper limit to the perks that you think these cards will continue to offer to incentivize travelers? Or is this war going to continue to escalate in terms of like yeah. the deals?
4: Well, it's definitely an arms race right now and Chase just up the ante. Uh, I know almost all the other major issuers are planning on responding. So for consumers, it's the best time ever to get a travel rewards credit card. Um, you know, we've seen huge sign-up bonuses, not only that, just ongoing perks, right? So the credit card companies now know that if we give you 25,000 miles, you're going to use them and forget about us, right? So instead of that, let's invest in actual perks that you're going to use, right, that are easy to take advantage of. And that's really where Chase has excelled with the Sapphire Reserve. That $300 travel credit is amazing. You know, Amex Platinum makes you select a certain airline and only that airline and only certain fees. And you can't even really check to see how you're doing. And it's convoluted. Chase says, hey, we'll give you 300 bucks any travel expense, including parking, tolls. Uh, you know, so it's Uber, Airbnb. You know, I used it on a Hotels.com purchase. My first purchase on the card, seven hundred dollars on hotels, and I got three hundred back. That's valuable. It's it's easily attainable. And so I think the credit card companies are seeing. You know, their airline partners are kind of uh, giving them the short end of the stick by you know continuing to to scale back on benefits. So they're stepping in uh, where they see that gap. Just like American Express uh, creating Centurion lounges. You know, the U.S. airline lounges. Sorely lagged behind competitors. Amex came in and said, you know what, for our best cardholders, we're going to create these amazing lounges. And the Centurion lounges are, by and large, amazing.
3: Um, one credit card that's worth it? Um, I don't know. I, you know I, I was denied. The last time I applied for a credit card, I was denied because I had been overserved. Chase. Chase said, you know, sorry. And I've got like perfect FICO score, perfect everything. You know, I pay my everything on time. I'm a J.P. Morgan private bank customer. And Do you they think they no.
1: recognize your name by now mm-hmm. when you go in? the Yeah, I don't know. I think I
3: just got too many credit cards. so
4: um, I got denied too. So if it makes you did? Ah, uh-huh. oh, okay. But I like escalated. I, I, my private client banker, actually, there is a claims department where, or a, a credit department where they yeah. can escalate. but. But yeah, Chase is coming. I mean, they know that gamers exist. Yeah. And frankly, that's why I tell people, like, be a good customer. I do think you could probably get it overturned through the private bank connection. Yeah. But in general, you know, if you open and close credit cards, that, that game has been going on for a while, but it's coming to an end. You can't just open endless cards. You kind of got to be a smart customer. And yeah. I really say credit card companies have the technology. They are booting people out that aren't good customers. The yeah. Banks don't have to give you all these perks. These are not a birthright to get points like crazy every month with new credit cards. So... I do think there is a balance of you know getting these amazing offers, but also put spend on the card. Don't be a jerk
3: customer, but I do think the cost of of these cards and the churning is passed along to the people who don't do it. I mean for cost, sure. I mean, someone's cost, paying for it yeah that's someone's pay sure. someone's paying for it it's It's probably the people who can least afford it the people with low credit scores and uh the, yeah, you people know. who pay yeah yeah so that's why I find uh, that's why I think it's a bit unfair and a bit uh schemy welcome to capitalism, baby I know right I mean, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean I, yeah. <laughs>
1: So one more question, and that I, this last question sort of related to this. Both of you, I would say, have been very instrumental in this sort of growth of this culture around fat finger fares or mistake fares, people finding deals and being more aware of those. Do you think that's changed at all how the airlines are marketing or pricing their airfares as a result?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting. I think one reason that the airlines increase the minimum spend... Uh, To get status was the fat finger fares. People would get a $20 fare, a $10 fare to go first class to Hawaii and go back and forth, back and forth, get the miles, but they never spent it, you know, they just screwed the airlines with their own program. So um, I think we see fewer of these fat finger fares, partly because the uh, airlines have uh, been able to program their computers, you know, belatedly to say, what? Are you kidding? You, how much? <laughs> you know, yeah. think again. Think again. Well, in the day of social
4: media, right, a deal gets out and it spreads like wildfire, right. So your site's been incredible with social media. You guys are really on the forefront of the Twitter fares and, and communicating with consumers. That being said, I mean the the airfare is low. There are still tons and tons of deals, you know, and and not even just Fat Finger. The the discount carriers. I've flown La Compagnie business class, fourteen hundred dollars round trip on a decent seven fifty seven. Way better. It's American Airlines. Coach. I won't disparage the product. Was roughly the same price. So, Wow Air to Iceland. uh, You know, Norwegian is really disrupting the market. I love Norwegian's premium. Coming home Mm -hmm. from Europe, it's perfectly fine for a day flight, and it's 800 bucks last minute one way. And so, I think it's a great time for airfares. You know, but the deal is, it's not Saturdays at one when the airlines load. It's monitor Twitter, monitor the right accounts, and hop on a deal when you see it. Most airlines will give you that 24-hour. You know, So if you sit there and try to plan a huge trip with 40 people, it's not, it's, the deal's not going to be there. But there's still plenty of deals to be had. Great time to fly. It is.
1: Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Always appreciated. You bet. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jeremy.
0: And that was George Hobica and Brian Kelly. And finally, we have Ben Smith of Air Canada.
1: All right. We're we're uh, we're back at the 2016 SKIP Forum. I'm here with Benjamin Smith. He's the president of Passengers for Air Canada. Uh, Benjamin, I have a couple questions coming off of your chat. I'd love to talk a little bit about distribution and what's going on there. It's a big topic in the industry, it seems like. How is Air Canada looking at where it's selling products these days? Is there one channel like your website that's more important than others? How do you view where you're, you're selling these days?
5: Sure, great question. Uh, you know, distribution is obviously extremely important for us. Uh, I think the, the area of focus uh, that we're investing heavily, uh, like many others, is you know, because we have uh, you know, more and more of a unique product to many of our competitors, we're focusing on channels that are best able to display and merchandise uh, in a way that supports um, our business strategies. Uh, so obviously our website is, is perfectly designed around that because, you know, this is designed in-house, but any other partners or any other channels, uh, that best replicate that, um, are our preferred channels.
1: Mm. Um, airline loyalty programs have obviously changed a lot in the last year or two years, if you will. How does Air Canada see its loyalty offering evolving in the years to come? Are there any attributes you guys really want to instill into the product or changes that you're looking to make?
5: Yeah, no, we uh, you know we see loyalty you know as you just mentioned uh, evolving, uh, we you know very very important you know our our most uh, valuable customers. We want to ensure uh, that we build uh, you know additional trust uh, between ourselves and and these customers that you know th- that they feel more and more comfortable doing business with us. That we ease uh, you know the transactions and the way they. They fly um, and uh, and book with us, and we view the loyalty program as being a great enabler of us, to, you know, to be able to better understand our customers and then tailor products and benefits uh, to customers, uh, so that uh, you know the value proposition that we have uh, becomes even more valuable.
1: Um- where do you think the line is between maximizing revenue with fees? There's obviously been a lot of you know fees added from a lot of airlines um, and sort of annoying or ticking off passengers. Do you think the airline industry has crossed that line, or do you think they've struck the right balance in terms of you know charging for services versus offering a great experience?
5: Um I think uh, I don't think we've 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 maxed out on it uh, as an industry. I think what we have not maxed out on is uh, is articulating and explaining, uh, you know, all the choice and options uh, that the consumers have. Uh, so the, you know, I think what's what's missing is, you know, matching the expectation level of some customers with what's actually being offered. Uh, you know, I think more choice is a better uh, outcome um, or a better future than what we have today. And, you know, the more choice, the better. And everyone has, you know, a different, uh, you know, different expectation as to how they'd like to travel and what their price points are. Um, And why would you want to be paying for something you don't value? Mm -hmm. So as long as you understand what it is you're getting um, and it fits your expectations and there's a correct price, uh, I think that's better for the industry.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um. And obviously, another piece of that is just figuring out how to slice up different cabins into different types of products and services. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think airlines have gone too far in slicing their cabins into different classes, especially on the economy end, or do you think that's just a direction that the industry is heading?
5: Well, here again, it's about more choice. Uh, you know, it's um, you know people fly for many different reasons, and even the same person, you know may want. Uh, you know, different levels of comfort and maybe, you know, may have a different price elasticity depending on what the trip is or what why you know what the trip's for or how many family members or how many business associates are going on that trip, uh, how long the trip is, you know, how long the flight is, you know, how tired they are, um, you know, what time of day the flight is leaving at. Uh, so I think the more uh, we can customize or the more, you know, product offerings uh, we can put out there, I think the better. I mean, you know, you go into any, Um, You know, retailer, I mean, you know, I know if I'm going to go into a shop, be it a, you know, a pharmacy or a grocery store, if there's only, you know, one of each product, I'm not as happy as when I've got choice at all different price points. And, you know, even within the same company, they have different different offerings that uh, as long as it's displayed correctly, merchandised correctly, and I understand what each, uh, you know, what each one of these product or services are and what the differentiators are, uh, I can make, you know, an educated decision as to which one fits my needs. And we're hoping that that uh, is where, you know, our company and hopefully the industry uh, moves further toward.
1: Of course. Uh, One more question for you, Benjamin. Where do you think the industry is, is heading in terms of product offerings or passenger trends? Anything you guys are tracking that you think we'll see more of in the future?
5: I think, you know, with, you know, as with the internet, uh, you know, obviously, in full force for many, many years now, and the amount of information that is available uh, at uh, most computers, finger, most consumers' fingertips. Um, I think it's uh, it's a great time to be a consumer. I think the uh, the amount of choice and the amount of information uh, keeps uh, you know suppliers like us or you know airlines like us on our toes, and we're in the customer service business. So you know we've got to be one step ahead of our customers to make sure we're uh, meeting and exceeding the expectations of anyone who wants to or does fly on us. So I think it's a it's a very good time uh, to to be flying, and uh, I think it's a great time. Like for someone like me, it's a great challenge for us, and that's why you know we're very happy to be at this uh, this uh, event here because you've got people who are looking forward. Uh, toward the future as to what is it people are going to be looking for and how can we use technology and how can we use research and what consumers are looking for to better the experience for all stakeholders.
1: Great. Well, I appreciate all your great thoughts today and uh, thank you for joining us here at the Skip
5: Forum. Most welcome.